praise and honor to him as we've just been singing. Had a great vacation Bible school yesterday. Uh, it was just awesome. And um, Matt and Derek, myself, we alternated uh, among the adult class and uh, the 5th and 6th grade, and we went to 7th and through 12th grade group, and then I come find out we had 32 in the 7th through 12th grade class, and that was just awesome. Good group to study with, uh, very fun day, and I think we learned a lot in our studies along the way, so wonderful day yesterday in our vacation Bible school. My lesson this morning is a hard lesson, and it's, it's a lesson that I wrote many years ago, and I feel like we need to revisit it from time to time and think about some things in our life. The idea here of the title, Raise Your Hand If You're Sure, it kind of comes from years ago. Do you remember that with Sure Deodorant? That was their slogan. That was their theme song, so to speak. And I think it started way back in the 1970s, and it hung on for about 20 years. I, I don't believe they use it anymore. But the idea is taking that thought from them and can you raise your hand if you're sure about your salvation? Are you sure that you're doing that which you ought to do to be a Christian? That should be the slogan for all Christians, that I can raise my hand and be sure that I am doing everything to be pleasing to God. We look at our scripture uh, from 2 Peter 1.10. The last time I spoke from this pulpit, we looked in this very same chapter and I believe we end it with this verse. But again, Paul, uh, Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be diligent, be even diligent, to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And we looked at the word diligent, which means to make every effort. And we saw that in our Bible class, our adult Bible class this morning, as you get to the last chapter of 2 Peter, there's a verse there that says that we should be diligent, uh, that we can be found without spot and, and uh, blameless before God. We want to give every effort that when this time on our earth is, is over, that we're ready, that we're fully prepared that we've done everything that we know that we can, understanding that we all sin and we fall short of the glory of God, but yet we have done everything we can to stay clean in this life, to do that which God would have us to do. And so that's the question we're going to ask this morning. Are you making every effort to reach our heavenly home? And we're going to talk about what some people want to call some hot topics this morning. And so let's look at some of these hot topics and see if we're sure about these things. First of all, what does the Bible say about alcohol? Well, we know that drunkenness is a sin. Look, look at a few scriptures. Romans chapter 13, verse 13, uh, Paul tells us that he says that let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and in drunkenness. So we give this warning here that we should not be in drunkenness in this life. Ephesians 5, verse 18 tells us that to do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to have the Spirit of God with us, but we don't need something in our bodies that's going to take away the, our thinking and that, that we can think clearly and do things in the right way as it should be done. We can go over to Galatians chapter 5, and we know verses 19 through 21 list the works of the flesh, and one of those things is drunkenness. That, 
people that do these things and such like uh, shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to be sure about these things. And I think most people understand that if we get ourselves in a state of drunkenness, that uh, we're not uh, doing the things that God would have us to do. Uh, Romans 6 talks about being either servants of righteousness or servants of sin. And we need to be sure that, that we are doing that, uh, things that are right, because we are certainly being servants of, of the devil if we are engaging in that kind of activity in our lives. And we need to understand that. Well, what about just a little bit? What about just a little wine here? Or what, what's wrong with maybe having the guys over and having a beer just every once in a while? What's wrong with that? Not really going to get drunk. We're just going to have a little bit of alcoholic beverage. You see, we're thinking about some things here. If, if we're going to make our calling and election sure, are we doing the things that God would have us to do? Or are we trying to step over a line? Or let's see, maybe just get as close to that line that we can without stepping over into some things that God would not approve of. Well, let's think about some things here. Have you ever thought about the question, when is one legally drunk? Well, the state of Tennessee says, you know, <laughs> you go to some other state and, and they talk about a blood alcohol level and it's .08 or it's .06 or it's point whatever it may be. What does God say that blood alcohol level is before we're drunk? Well, the Bible don't say, does it? Well, I don't know. You don't know. Do we want to try to find out? How close can we get to God's level when we don't know where that is and just kind of test that a little bit? When is one legally drunk? You know, because people say, well, it don't hurt. I, I need a little bit to help me unwind. I need a little bit to help me along the way. Well, what about this too? How will this influence others? If you're just drinking a little bit, I'm not going to get drunk, but maybe have a friend over here. You can have a little bit. Well, he says, I want a little bit more. I want a little bit more. Uh, do you have something stronger? Uh, well, how, uh, what are we doing for that person? Are we showing a good Christian influence by helping someone along the way in that way? What would we do if Jesus was in our home? Are we going to invite him to become a part of this? Uh, is he going to engage in the activities that we're doing along the way? You know, and another question we might ask is, is uh, can we contain ourselves? Because I can tell you this, uh, we live long enough. There's going to be something in our life that's going to happen that's going to devastate us from time to time. You know, you get that phone call. And you just hear some words of tragedy. Something's happened to a loved one. Someone has died that you're very near to. Maybe you've lost two or three at the same time in an accident. Or just something that's just really, just takes your breath away. Oh, I need a little bit more now to help me get over that. You know, people that have an alcohol addiction, do you think that that's really what they meant to have when they first started drinking? Was that their intention? Or was it something where later on I had to start having a little bit more and a little bit more? Are you sure you can contain yourself in a life crisis? And can you be sure? Is your calling an election sure? Are you being diligent? Are you making every effort 
to do that which is right before God. Well, here's this person. He says, well, I'm going to be totally abstinent of all these things. He can be sure, can he? I'm not drinking anything. Now, someone said, well, now, Brother Doug, don't you know that, that he might have other problems? He might have other sins he's going to be accounted for? Yes, absolutely. We do know that. And we'll know that as we talk about some of these other things here in just a moment. But on this matter, that's not what's going to keep him from having a heavenly home someday. He's not going to fall short because of a drinking problem that has got into his life. It's good that we stay away from it as far away as we can. Let's look at another topic. What's the Bible say about gambling? Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 we find that Adam and Eve, they were told, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. We also find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, that if any will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, God has set that up for us in this life, that we work for our income. We work to uh, take care of our livelihood, to see to our daily needs, to be able to provide for our families and so forth. These are the things that we're supposed to do. An honest person will tell you that if someone is a compulsive gambler, the, the motive, uh, I'd say with at least most of them, is covetousness. I've got to have more. Uh, I've got to have more. I'm not getting enough. There may be also another secondary motive. I've always told people that I might be a compulsive gambler. Do you know that? I might be. And I say that because I, I always felt like that if I ever did, if I, I went into a casino and I started playing some of those games that they play and I lost, I don't like losing. So guess what I'm going to keep doing? I'm going I'm to figure this out. I'm going to win. I'm going to keep going. And what happens to these people? They get in a lot of trouble. I know one man many years ago, he was betting on the sports game. I don't know if it was football or basketball, but it was a sporting event. Lost his car. It wasn't a clunker either. It was a nice car. It was pretty new. But he made that wager with a friend. He lost his car. And a few days after that, he lost his marriage because of it. And that's the kind of thing that compulsive gambling can do. So we know these people who have this addictive behavior and they've lost everything. They've lost their family. And we know that this is not pleasing with God. But what about this? What about Powerball? What about the office pool? Again, you know, uh, every so often that Powerball gets up 350 million, 400 million. You know, what, why does it hurt just one time? Maybe just play it when it gets up real high like that. What's wrong with the uh, betting on the Super Bowl over there at the office or the World Series or whatever it may be? Well, let's ask the question here. Again, are you heading toward an addiction? As I said, I might be a compulsive gambler. I don't want to find out. You get involved in something like this. Well, I lost. I've got to do this again. I've got to throw some more money on top of this. We throw the good on top of the bad. Another question we need to ask is, what is your motivating factor? Is it not covetousness? And isn't covetousness uh, another one of the 
works of the flesh that we find about in Galatians chapter 5. We, we are, are motivated because I want that money. I want all this. What am I going to do with it? What is motivating our drive to do such things? Are you sure about it? What are you feeling inside? Are you sure about those feelings that you're having? When we do these things, is that being an influence as a Christian to those that are around about us, that we work with and that we live with? Are we setting the right example before them? Once again, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus approve of this? Well, I want you to answer that for yourself. I want you to think about that. Would you feel comfortable with that? Are you sure about that as we think about it along the way? And once again, are you making your election sure, your calling and election sure when you're doing these things? But I can tell you again, this fellow here, he says, I'm not going to be involved in any of these things right here. No. And he don't have to worry about it. He can be sure about it. There's no question about it. Someone says, well, Doug, now we can make this argument for this. Yeah, we can make this argument. We can go back and forth. And we can talk about it all day long. But are you sure? I can go right here and I can be sure about this. With all confidence, I know we can be sure about it right here. What about the Bible in modest apparel? We go to Genesis chapter 3, and we read in verse 7 that after Adam and Eve ate from the, the tree of, of good and evil, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, it says in verse 7 that their eyes, uh, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And then a little bit later in verse 21, it says that also for Adam and Eve, his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Once they realized what was good and what was evil, they saw the matter of them walking around with no clothes on. They saw that as evil. They needed to do something about that. And all they knew to do, the best thing they could do is find these big leaves. These big leaves start sewing them together somehow to cover their body the best they could. And we find a little bit later, the Lord says, I'm going to help you do a little better with that. <laughs> and he starts putting these animal skins. He showed them how to put the animal skins on them to have clothing over themselves. And they had this realization of this. We go to the New Testament days, and Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 and 10, that in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls uh, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. You know, we look at this scripture, and, and actually it, it even talks more about overdressing in the sense of overdressing with jewelry and those kinds of things to bring attention to yourself. But it is talking about the way that we dress and, and we need to be careful of what we are wearing and, and make sure that we are modest. So where do we draw the line? How much do you wear? I can't stand up here and say, well, here, here, here. I can't find that little place there. The Bible doesn't give us a very descriptive detail on this. But we are told that we should be modest in the way that we dress. 
when we think about what we're wearing, what, under what standard is it? Are, are we going from a society standard or are we going by a biblical standard? You know, even our children at school have a dress code, don't you? You have a dress code. We have a dress code at our school, and uh, sometimes that's violated, and, and uh, sometimes uh, they have something up in the office they'll have you to change into. Uh, sometimes if it's a matter of holes in the clothing, they have some duct tape. They cover it up. Sometimes they send the student home or have the parent to bring them something from home to change into. Where you work, you have a dress code. Depending on what your job is, you wear clothes that's suitable for the work that you do. And so you go by that dress code. And so you need to ask under what standard is the clothing. You need to ask the question, are you attracting undue attention by what you're wearing? Are people looking at you because of what you're wearing? Are you drawing undue attention that should not be drawn because of your clothing or the lack thereof? Could it be offensive to some people? Whether you don't believe it's offensive or not, do you, are you mindful of those that are around you and what their thoughts might be? Could it be offensive to them? You know, we're in a day and time, and we've have seen a lot of this in the news and all that. We've got uh, a lot of these women that uh, are accusing uh, television stars and political figures. Oh, they've done harmful things to me. They took advantage of me, and we're taking them to court, and we're going to have them uh, uh, criminal charges on them. And, and we're hearing all these things, and I have no doubt that a lot of these things are going on. That's the world that we're living in today. And, and these men should not be doing those things. Let's, let's be clear about that. But are we encouraging that bad behavior? There are women who says, I don't want to be touched in that way, and I don't want to be looked at uh, in a certain way. Well, are you wearing something to cause that man to come over there and be tempted to touch you in that way or encouraging them to look at you in a certain way? Are you encouraging that behavior by what you're wearing and what your outfit may be of that day? We need to think about those things as we dress every day. This person here, though, he says, well, I'm going to wear plenty of clothing. I'm going to get to a point I'm going to get to a certain place where I know, I'm sure, that I don't have to worry about those things. I'm not bringing undue attention to myself. I'm not causing those things to happen in my life. I'm trying to stay right and just before God. I want to make my calling and election sure. Well, what does the Bible say about dancing? We got the guy there scratching his head. He's got the question marks about that. Because, first of all, I can't find a scripture in there that says, Thou shalt not dance. It's just not in there. But let's look at some things here. You know, uh, from Galatians 5, 19 through 21, once again, that is the what? That's the works of the flesh. And as I was looking at it and uh, preparing this lesson to, to speak today, I, I went a little different route. Because you can look at the King James Version and the New King James Version and different translations, and they got different words in there. So what I did is I went back and just looked at some of the Greek words that's in the original text. 
And one of those words is kamoi, which means carousing and revelry. This is one of the works of the flesh. Another one is aselgia, uh, which is a lack of self-restraint. And so we, once again, need to uh, go to that question. If we're involved in some kind of a social event, whether it be a dance or maybe not a dance, but some kind of a social event of, uh, with, that doesn't include dancing, are there things that's going to be involved in it that's from these words here? Are things going to happen where people are going to lose their restraint in the way that they're doing things? We need to be mindful of that. We need to be thoughtful about that. You know, these uh, verses end with such like. And that comes from this Greek word that means things that resemble. Now, are we doing anything that resembles these things that are the works of the flesh? And if we're doing some things there, even though they might be found socially acceptable, are, are we finding things that's bringing temptation among ourselves to do some of these things that's listed here? along the way, including adultery and fornication and lasciviousness, these words that we find in the English in this uh, passage of Scripture. Romans 1, verse 32, uh, the verses before that, Paul lists things that are such like with the works of the flesh, and he concludes by saying that people that not only do these same things, but, but also approve of those things, who practice them, they're going to find themselves lost. It's not enough that you do these things, but if you stand back and say, well, I don't do those things, but it's okay. I, if someone wants to do that, I approve of it. Then we're going to find ourselves lost in that realm also. We need to take a stand on certain things. Think about the temptations at the dance. And ask yourself, would Jesus be there? Would Jesus be pleased with, with the things that are taking place there? Is it a place that you can influence others to Christ? Can you be sure about this? Are you sure? Someone says, well, I believe it is. I think so. Uh, I, I really don't have a big problem, but are you sure about it? Are you diligent in the matter? And that's what we need to be thinking about. This person here said, I'm not worried about it. I just don't take part in these things, and I can be sure about it because I'm not participating. Let's go to another realm. The Bible and worship. Hebrews 10, verse 25 and 26 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. Brother Scott Ballard had a great lesson on the radio program this morning, right here uh, on these very verses. And, and so we were thinking about what uh, the Hebrews writer is saying here he's saying it's very important that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together now this morning is a we have some empty pews here there and yonder we have a good crowd and we're grateful that you're here we have some empty pews now I look right over here and I see Matt and Aaron's pews empty Libby's not here but you know what they 
are vacationing. They're in the mountains, and they're worshiping this morning with the brethren where they are. Are they forsaking the assembly? No, they're not. They're assembling with the saints where they are. And we may have some others. It's vacation season, and they are wherever they may be, and they are assembled with the saints wherever they are. They're not forsaking the assembly. We've been announcing for some time. We've got Sister Evelyn White and Sister Anna Rush. They're over there at the, uh, the bridge at Highland. I tell you what, they would love to be here, but they can't be here. They're not physically able to be brought over here with the health conditions that they have. But they will be uh, met by some brethren this afternoon in their room, and we'll, for a short time we'll sing with them a little bit, we'll pray with them. And they appreciate that. That's where they're going to assemble to worship today. So they're not forsaking the assembling, and if, if even if no one went over there to do that, they're not forsaking the assembling today. There's others that are not able to go because of physical restraints that they may have. And there may be other situations. But there are others that are doing things today. They could be here. They're just choosing to do something else. And they're forsaking the assembling of us together. We should not only be here, but we should be exhorting one another, exhorting those that are not with us, encouraging them to come and be with us. Because a lot of times we leave out verse 26. If we sin willfully, what did he call this? He says it is a sin. If we sin willfully, after we know the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. And so we need to understand that, that we are not doing God's will when we choose to do other things besides being at the worship. But someone says, well, let's get to that Sunday night, Wednesday night conversation. Let's think about that for a few moments. Here's what I tell people when I get in a conversation with them. If you and I were to have a personal conversation about this, my question to you is, where is your heart? It's not a matter of, the Bible says be here at 9.50 in the morning, 5 o'clock at night. No, we don't have that, but we do have elders that have set the times for us to come and worship and assemble together. And so my question is, where is your heart? And we can go to that big, thick book. Did you know there's a big, thick book out there? It's called the Book of Excuses. <laughs> and we can flip to whatever page there, and we can throw out the excuse and whatever it might be. Forget about that book. Where is your heart? And now if you want to talk about that excuse, would Jesus be sympathetic with your excuse? And the truth is, he might be. There might be something there. No, you're not really forsaking. And, and Jesus understands that, and he knows. But you've got to be honest in your own heart about it. Would Jesus be sympathetic with the excuse? Another good question, what are you doing? If you're not here, what are you doing? Where will you be? What will you be engaged in? You know, on Wednesday night, some of you may not be here. Because you work that second shift job, and you are expected to be there. I believe Jesus might be sympathetic with that. We understand that. There are some times that you just simply cannot for whatever reason. But what are you doing? Is it that, or is it something else in your life? Are you in a place 
that you can be sure about your answer? Are you in a place that you can be sure about your excuse? You need to judge your own heart in this matter and think about that. Well, there could be maybe some other hot topics. But I want us to think about this. Well, I've left this part out first. This person, he's at all the services. <laughs> he don't have any problem with it. When the doors are open, he's here. And he doesn't have to worry about answering for that. Let's look at a couple of Bible examples about being sure. You know, there's Lot's wife. In Genesis chapter 19, they were there in the city of Sodom. And uh, God told uh, Lot and through the angels that, that this city is going to be destroyed. God's going to destroy it and you're to flee the city and not look back. And that was the instructions that was given to him on that day. Now, Mrs. Lot, she could have been one to say, well, I don't believe that's going to happen. I'm not worried about it. Lot, you can take the daughters and run. I'm staying right here. I'm just going to stay put. Now, if she had made that choice, we know what would have happened. Fire and brimstone came down on those cities, didn't it? Everyone there was destroyed, and she would have been destroyed with them. Now, she could have also said, all right, I'm going with the family. God said go and don't look back, and I'm not. I'm going to run, and I'm going to go to that place that he told us to go, and I'm going right there. And you know what? We can be very sure that she would have been safe. But she did something in between. She ran, but a part of it was not. But she's curious, and she looked, and she turned into a pillar of salt. She wasn't diligent to be found safe. She was taking the steps, but she wasn't making every effort to be sure that she was safe as she ran away. And we've told the story many times of Nadab and Abihu. These were the priests. These were the sons of Aaron over in Leviticus chapter 10. And they were to make a sacrifice before God. And they might have said, you know, Aaron, we just don't want to do that. We don't want to make the sacrifice. But you know what? It was the duties of the priest to perform these sacrifices. They were to do that. In fact, those first nine chapters, uh, Moses goes into a lot of detail about how you do it, why you do it. And he went into all the things that they were supposed to do. And now, you two are to do this on this day. Well, we don't want to do it. Now, I don't know what their consequences would have been, but I feel confident that they would have been dealt with on this. Now, on the other hand, they could have performed the sacrifices as they were told and everything would have been well and everything would have been fine, but we know the story, don't we? What they do? They performed the sacrifice, but they had to add something new to it. They had to add a strange fire, and then that fire consumed them. They were on some grounds there that they couldn't be sure that everything was right. Two scriptures. One is... Um, Psalm 93, verse 5. Your testimonies are very sure. God's testimonies are very sure. If we'll live by them, everything will be fine. And again, we find in the Psalm 111, verse 7, that all of his precepts are sure. God knows what he's doing with us. God has a plan for us. We should always follow.
We need to understand that the Bible gives us a very clear plan of salvation. And we got many people in the church that say, well, I don't see why I have to. I don't see. But the Bible says this is what we are to do. That we hear the message of God. We hear the gospel. And we believe it. When we believe it, we must repent of our sins. That means I'm through with those sins once and for all. I'm putting those sins out of my life. And not most of it. I'm throwing it all back. And understanding there's going to be some days I'm not thinking. And I'm, I'm going to do some things I shouldn't do. I'm going to sin because I'm thoughtless from time to time. I'm flesh and blood. We all going to do that. But I'm not going to make that intention anymore. I'm throwing it all out. And so I repent of my sins. And I'm going to have my old sins and my future sins. Buried in that water. Baptism. That I can come up that new person. And then I'm going to give every effort. To make my election into heaven sure one day. I want to do all I can to be faithful and right before God. If you haven't taken care of that matter, right now is that time. This is the invitation to you. To come and we'll help you in any way as we stand the same. Oh, to Jesus, I